From Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, this is The Legal Lounge. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello and welcome to The Legal Lounge. I'm Amanda and along with the lawyers and experts here at Lanyon Bowdler, I'll be bringing you a series of podcasts that cover many aspects of law in England and Wales. It's our aim to show you that the law isn't scary and nor are our lawyers. If you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialists for an upcoming episode, please let us know by getting in touch through the website lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, personal injury lawyers Dawn Humphreys and Alex Spanner discuss head injuries in professional sport, particularly those in football, rugby and American football. Hello, it's Dawn here and I'm with Alex and today we're going to look at head injuries in professional sport. So can I pass over to Alex who's going to give us some information about concussion and the effects of sporting injury. Thanks Dawn. Yes, so we thought we'd touch a bit on concussion and the effects it has in professional sport. It's been quite a sort of topical issue at the moment and we're going to sort of go over how it's been reflected in football, rugby and American football. The rules and regulations relating to the management of head injuries and concussion, they're based on a consensus statement from a number of international and inter-sport bodies. And so the first one we're going to talk about is football. So in the UK, the guidelines from the consensus statements, they've sort of been harmonised by organisations such as the Football Association, the FA. So they require things like an emergency action plan for the management of injury at all stadiums and grounds, pre-season screenings for players, uh, protocols for injury management, and the return to play guidelines following concussion. Now in football, the rise in publicity on head injuries in professional sports has grown since the 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 field so the football's influence in lifelong health and dementia risk study from the Glasgow Brain Injury Focus Group which took place at Glasgow University so the study compared the deaths of 7,676 ex-players to a sample of 23,000 from the general population. Dr. Willie Stewart, a consultant neuropathologist, stated this is the largest study looking at neurodegenerative disease in any sport, not just football. And the reason behind the study was to do with a, a former West Bromwich Albion football club striker called Jeff Assel, who died aged 59 in 2002. So Jeff was a West Bromwich Albion club legend. He got 137 goals in 292 games whilst he played for the club between 1964 and 1974. Now, it was ruled at his inquest that he had died from chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE. So CTE is a progressive degeneration of the brain caused by repeated head trauma. There's evidence of this in a lot of contact sports. In rugby union currently, there is legal action being prepared against the the RFU, the WIU and the World Rugby Authority. So at the time of recording, the current group of litigants, uh, there's nine of them, um, are bringing a claim against rugby's governing bodies for their failure to take such steps and devise and implement such rules that are needed to remove, reduce or minimise the risks of permanent brain damage as a consequence of concussive and subconcussive injuries. Some of the litigants have chosen to remain anonymous, but the list does include Steve Thompson, who is a World Cup winning hooker for England in 2003, and Adam Hughes, who is a former Wales international under-20 centre. 
So Thompson, he's age 43 now. He's been diagnosed with early onset dementia and probable CTE. He's stated publicly he is unable to remember any of the Rugby World Cup final against Australia in 2003. He is also the first athlete to pledge to the concussion legacy project known as the Brain Bank, which is set up to research CTE and the consequences of brain trauma in athletes and military veterans in the UK. Adam Hughes, I mentioned earlier, is the youngest litigant in the group, aged just 30 years old. But he's also been diagnosed with a brain injury from post-concussive symptoms and has been told that he is on a similar path to Thompson and the others. Finally, the other sport where this has become a really prevalent issue is American football. So in 2011, the National Football League in America paid out a $1 billion settlement, which works out at around £700 million, for a group of retired American football players who had developed brain injuries as a result of their involvement in the sport. It's believed that this settlement could apply to some 21,000 former players. The lawsuit itself and sort of the, the greater understanding that's sort of come out from it means that top officials now acknowledge the link between head trauma in American football and CTE. And, you know, you may know this from the, there was a, a Will Smith film in 2015 called Concussion in which he played the doctor who had first discovered the link between the two. I've got a few questions for you, Dawn, in terms of, you know, we work with a, a lot of brain injured clients. It's, you know, it's one of the areas that, that we specialize in. So whilst obviously we've had a look at sort of the impact on professional sport in terms of what impact can a brain injury have on, on a person? You know, what is your experience from, from previous cases? We have um, quite a, an array within the, the, the definition of brain injury, both from the catastrophic uh, which can often result in people who require 24-hour care in, in support, down to what we also describe as a subtle brain injury, which on the face of it doesn't always look so serious in the sense that people are mobile, they're able to do things for themselves, but often the subtle brain injury is probably the more difficult because you have the client who is very defensive, very strong-willed, has their own views but doesn't always have either the capacity in which to manage their own financial affairs or deal with with their own decision making and they can be very defiant in what they believe uh, is is right or wrong they would benefit and often have a professional court of protection deputy acting on their behalf to assist them with those decisions the whole ambit of brain injury requires significant support so that can be a care assistant we can look at accommodation we can look at financial support uh, we look at occupational therapy, often we look at pain management, there's a whole raft. I often say that brain injury is a ripple effect, it's like a stone going in the water. So it's not just the person who's been injured with the brain injury that has the day-to-day difficulties, but it will be the partner, it will be the employer, it will be the wider family, it will even be the wider community from suddenly having their next door neighbour um, doing things which may not be socially acceptable or may not be the norm and therefore it it has a major impact upon the community but if it's dealt with appropriately and with support people can have very full rewarding worthwhile lives and um, it is a very rewarding role that we play in supporting them in that. I completely agree I think it's a lot of the work that we do here is in terms of the rehabilitation helping people to understand what they're going through and you know what we can do for them. 
So in terms of the rehabilitation that we can help put in place for people who, who've suffered brain injuries, what sort of things can we can we look at doing? As lawyers, um, you know, our role is to get and maximise the, the most amount of money for a client. Um, however, within that role, we can ensure that the client has access to a really good case manager who can sort out a good rehabilitation and therapy package with specialists within that team. And the multidisciplinary team is probably the most important thing for that particular person, particularly at the very early stages of a brain injury when someone's coming home from hospital. They need support within the uh, accommodation. They need uh, possibly a buddy or a support worker just to help them with the usual day-to-day activities. Some clients with very severe brain injury may may be requiring very high levels of care in every aspect of their their day-to-day lives. Other people will just need support with occupational therapy, sometimes there's physiotherapy. There can be um, all sorts of additional things that are required in terms of aids and equipment. And the care therapy providers will assess them at home, look to what they would like to do in terms of just not only day-to-day living but vocational aspects of their life and we also then look at a therapeutic role in terms of what did they like to do before the accident in terms of sports hobbies activities and try and replicate that give people the sense of meaning and the very real therapeutic advantages that you get from for example a sporting activity we may need to make adaptations often sometimes people aren't able to drive their house needs to be adapted they can't always go back to the same job but there isn't that need for vocational support within the rehab package that we present Um, it's different for every client it's very specialized and the whole point is to get somebody who has a background with for example neurophysiotherapy as opposed to just physiotherapy and half the battle is really getting the the specialist people involved in the right place at the right time to provide the support that's needed. Here at Lanyon Bowder we do have the the Brain Injury Forum which is a group and we you know we run various certain events um, would you like to touch on that briefly and what that covers? That's something we're actually very proud of we run two a year one here in Shrewsbury and another down at Hereford um, and those those groups are open to Um, people who may have had brain injuries possibly their family members but it's also a fabulous networking platform for carers providers treatment so we sometimes will have a medical expert giving uh, a talk to us Um, sometimes it might be a dietitian it may be a local charity that's providing um, support either physically emotionally uh, or support for the family Um, and it's a really good opportunity to hear about what's going on locally uh, to network afterwards and to continue with you know education and um, information for for the community as well as our clients and our staff Thanks to Dawn and Alex for lending their expertise. Yet more proof that lawyers don't bite. If you need legal help from either of them, please get in touch through lblaw.co.uk. That's lblaw.co.uk. And if you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialists for an upcoming episode, please let us know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show and find any of the conversations interesting or helpful, please remember to use your podcast app to follow The Legal Lounge so that you never miss an episode. That was The Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. 
Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.